however, that reflects what we just sang. Lord, would you do it again? And so I'm grateful for the past, but I'm looking forward to a new year before us. And I pray that 2019 will be really just the greatest year you've ever had in your life to this point, that you'd have more joy, more peace more productivity uh, than, than you've ever experienced before uh, in your life. If you would like to have a great 2019, say amen. 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 All right, so here's where the teaching today starts. I've got to let you know that just wishing or hoping that we'll have a great year is inadequate. That's not going to get us to where we need to be. It, it starts there with the desire, no doubt, but it's got to become more than that. In order to get from where we are to where it is we believe God would have us to go, we've got to have goals. And one person has said we have to have SMART goals. He went on to explain what a SMART goal is. He said a SMART goal is one that is specific. So in other words, we're not saying I, I want to lose weight. We're putting a number of pounds to that. Or I want to get out of debt. We're saying this is exactly what I want to do. It's got to be very specific. It's got to be measurable. And if they're specific, they are measurable. It's got to be attainable. And it's got to be relevant to our lives. And it's got to be time-based. And when you have SMART goals, you then have the ability to put a plan in place that will help you go from just having a desire into seeing something that is concrete and real in your life. Now this is a time of year when a lot of people talk about resolutions and so forth. And there was an article in the USA Today this week, I don't know if any of you saw it, but it said they'd studied for the last several years and the typical person that makes a New Year's resolution gives up on it by January 12th, all right? So you've got about another week before it goes down. Several of you, by the way, were upset that we had donuts available today. You said that blew it right there for me, you know, I had a donut and already I'm, I'm uh, in trouble there. But I, I want you to know that one reason our resolutions fail is because they're exactly what I'm talking about here. They're just a wish. They're a hope. I would like to see this, but we never get very specific and we never put a plan together that will lead us to victory. And until we put a plan to paper, our prospects for a great new year are not what they could be. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and join me in turning to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be today. And as you're turning, I'll tell you that I'm glad to inform you that God's word is filled with what we need to know to live a great new year. It tells us all we need to know to live a profound and a productive and a positive life. And we have many amazing passages to which we could turn to learn how to live a great life. But there's one today that we're going to study that I think is interesting and unique in that it, it tells us in one small passage all we need to know about entering into a new year. And the passage we're going to study today is powerful because it's God's word. How many of you would agree with me that God's word is powerful? Amen. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 said that the word of God is quick or it's alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing, the Bible says, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is powerful, but this message today is particularly powerful because it provides us what we need to tackle a new year of life. I love the way Paul in 2 Timothy said it. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. So he said, all of scripture, it comes from God, and all of scripture, he said, is profitable. And then he went on to share with us ways in which God's word is profitable to us. He said, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness. Now, I want you to follow what Paul said here. He said, all of the Bible is profitable, and he said, God's word brings value. It's profitable to our lives in this sense. It, it gives us doctrine. Doctrine is that which is right. The word doctrine just means taught truth, and we find God's truth in God's word. And so it's profitable in that it tells us what's right. The next item Paul mentioned there was reprove. In other words, when we're not doing that which is right, God's word will let us know that too. So God's word lets us know what's right. It lets us know when we've gotten off track. God's word's clear on that. And, and then the Bible says for correction. Now correction means, listen, we know what's right. The Bible then tells us by way of reproof we're not doing right. Correction is God's loving way of saying, hey, here's how you get back on track. Here's how you get back on track, doing those things that you know the Lord would have you to do. And then the Bible says, finally in that verse, instruction in righteousness. God says, here's how you can stay on track. So God's word comes at us from every necessary angle to give us what we need. It is profitable to us. Now, the details of the plan in your life and the plan in my life are going to look very different. Because our goals will be different. So I can't bring a message from God's word to say, here's exactly the plan you should have for your life. But what I can do is go to God's word, and in this passage we're going to study today, we're going to find the essential ingredients, the essential elements that each of our lives would have to possess as we apply this message to the plans for our year. And uh, it's going to help us, it's going to encourage us, and uh, I hope that this message will be something you can look back on and say, you know, some things started to change in my life because of the power of God's Word. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing today out of respect for reading of the Word. Hebrews chapter 12, if you're glad to be in church, say amen. amen. Good. Parents, if you're glad your kid's going back to school soon, say Amen. <laughs> Yeah, good. There were a few of those comments out there as well, you know, and I want to ask the kids if they're excited to go back, but uh, life is getting back to normal, and uh, I'm glad for that. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us now i'm going to read on but hebrews chapter 12 follows hebrews chapter 11 you see how smart i am i knew that instinctively i just knew but what we know that happens in hebrews chapter 11 is we find a list of some of the greats in the bible we sometimes call hebrews 11 the hall of faith and the names of some of the most well-known characters in scripture are found and they're all given to us as examples of faith and so the bible says we're compassed about by this great cloud of witnesses i believe the witnesses there are the testimony that we find from those who've gone before who laid the foundation of living a life by faith and then the bible says let us lay aside the the sin and the weight which easily besets us and i believe contextually the sin of which the writer speaks of here is the sin of not living by faith this entire portion of God's word deals with those who've lived by faith, how we can have victory in our lives because of faith. And the Bible says, listen, let's learn from those who've gone before, who knew God and lived for God, and let's be careful in our lives that we're pushing out any non-belief that would prevent us from fully entering into the life that God has for us. And then the Bible goes on there in the end of verse 1 to say, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. I'd like for you to go back to verse 2, and we find a great statement in the beginning of this verse where the Bible just says it this way, looking unto Jesus. I want us to think of this together this morning. Our Father, we're very grateful to be in this place and to open your word that is inspired as we've already considered and it's profitable in our lives. And God, I'm very thankful that as we just stick to your word, I can bring one message to uh, many different unique people, but the application can touch all of us in the way that is most needed. I pray that you'd be honored and lifted up and glorified in all that happens in this time. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, and if that's the case, we're given quite a word picture in the verses that we just read together. The Bible uses a lot of metaphors and analogies and types, and and what we find in this passage is an analogy that deals with sports. And of all the analogies used, that is one that is used over and over and over in the New Testament in particular. The Apostle Paul on one occasion, writing in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said this, I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. He said, you know, for me the Christian life is a lot like a sporting event. And uh, he said, I've wanted to fight the good fight. He was not saying I'm a good fighter. He said the fight I've been involved in was a good one. So I was involved in the good fight. And he said, I finished my course. And, and he was using that picture of a sporting contest. And the race of life, friends, is unique in that when we think of this, we need to realize that we're not racing one against another. My goal as I look at 2019 isn't to find someone and say, you know, I want to be better than them. I want to do better than, than Ryan this year. No, that, that's not the goal at all because I'm not racing against Ryan. Ryan's not racing against me. We're all racing against our abilities and our opportunities that God has given to us. Everyone in this room today has abilities that God has given to you. They are different. We all have different gifts. And so we all have abilities, but they differ. And we all have opportunities. Not all of us have the same opportunities, but make no mistake about it, we all have opportunities. And so the race in life is not one against another. We're racing against the potential we have in Jesus Christ. We're trying to live up to that which he would have us to do. And so the race is, is, is just unique to us as individuals. I love the way in this passage, the writer just said, let us run. Let us run. And I, I find in that an aggressive statement of, hey, let's get after it. Life's short. The days are getting on. Let's live this life to the fullest. Let's make the most of it. Let's not saunter. Let's not meander. Let's not dabble. Let's not waste time. Let's run. Let's do something. And I want to challenge you this year to have a mindset that says, God, I want to do everything you would have me to do this year. I want to run for you in 2019. And this word picture that speaks of sporting analogies would have brought to their mindset pictures of, of their Olympics. As I began to think of that, I thought of their Olympics and a couple thoughts I'll share with you about their Olympics. First of all, you could not compete in the Olympic races unless you were a free person. There were many slaves in the world at that time and slaves were not allowed to compete in the Olympics. You, you had to be a free person. Secondly, you were not representing yourself in the Olympic Games. If I were in the Olympics at that time, they, they wouldn't say, and Steve's here to run the 100-yard uh, dash. That's not what they'd say. They'd say, representing Oceanside, and that would be me. You see, I would be there to bring glory to my homeland, the place I'm from. 
It's not for me. Now, if you won the Olympics, your homeland would would give you glory, but you were there to represent your homeland. And so I want you to know, as you seek to run for God in this year, you need to know the basis of it all is freedom. You're free in Jesus Christ. We're not doing what we do to try and earn God's love or his forgiveness or his favor. No, if you're a believer today, you're accepted in the beloved. You are in Christ. You are free in him. You have nothing to prove. You're not trying to earn any brownie points. You run on the basis of who you already are in him. And then we need to know this, we're not to do what we do to bring glory to ourselves. We're representing where our spiritual heritage is. We're representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And it very well may be that if you honor God, he'll honor you. But our goal is never to get accolades unto ourselves. As Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 wrote, he said, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so we run as free in Christ and we run to give God glory. And with that backdrop in mind, the writer of Hebrews shares with us how to make the most of the race of our lives. He literally provides here a manual on how we can run this year and beyond. And he encourages his readers uh, in, this, in this pursuit. And so if you have your outlines nearby, I would encourage you to follow along today. The first element we're going to see in this passage is if we're going to run well, we number one need to have the right purpose. Have the right purpose. Now let's listen again to how it's read in verse 2. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I want you to know that the, the, the focus, the, the, the goal of our life is Jesus Christ. He's the object. He's to be the focus. Jesus, the Bible says, is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, these are very important words, and they're interesting words. The word author here is a word that has also been translated as captain or prince. It it has the idea of a leader. And so, yes, it all originates with Jesus, but the idea an author is, hey, he's the one that's pinning the story of our lives. We're to to follow him because he is the leader. The word used here for finisher, when it says Jesus is the finisher, that, that word in the language of the New Testament, it's used only one time in all of the Bible, and here it is. And the Bible says we need to know something of Jesus. He's the finisher. I got to thinking, what does the finisher mean? So I looked it up. You won't be surprised at all to learn that the word the finisher means someone who finishes what they start. So the Bible says it all begins in Jesus Christ. He's the author and he's the leader in our lives. And the Bible says there's something you need to know about Jesus. He doesn't leave things undone. In fact, Jesus would often say things like, it is finished. He sees the job to fruition. I'm grateful for a savior like that. You see, Jesus is the beginning, and Jesus is the end, and Jesus is everything in the middle. Uh, When it comes to our life, we're to live by faith, we're to have the right purpose, and the purpose is Jesus Christ. We're called to look to Him as we run the race uh, that He lays before us. Now, friends, I'm, I'm encouraging you today to do this, to look to Jesus. And you'd say, well, pastor, that sounds very biblical, sounds very churchy, thanks for that. I guess you can punch your pastor card, you delivered a message today, but how does that help me in my life? I'm telling you, if, if you want your marriage to be all God would have it to be, don't begin by looking at your spouse, look to Jesus first. Lord, how would you have me to handle this situation? We're not asking what do they deserve or what are my emotions telling me to do. Lord, what would you have me to do? And he tells us very clearly, husbands, love your wives. 
If you want to be a better parent this year, don't look at your kids because they might drive you nutty. I mean, a lot of times what, what uh, uh, they deserve might be different than what it is God would have us to do. And, and, and the Bible makes it clear. Fathers, you, you're to love your children, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm not to provoke them to wrath. You see, as I look to Jesus, I'll be a better husband. I'll, I'll be a better father. Look to Jesus when it comes to the impact your life will make this year, when it comes to serving and loving and giving and, and, and all of these times. Look to Jesus Christ, and you'll find a purpose that transcends everything else. Several years ago, I got a call from a man I had just met. I, I did not know him well at all. I don't know how he got my cell phone number, but he called me, and I answered the phone, and, and I could tell instantly something was wrong. He was agitated, and he said, I'm going to kill myself, and I just wanted somebody to know. And I said, no, 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 don't do that, and then, then he hung up, and I thought, this is not good. Well, the phone number came through, so I sent a call right back. Nobody answered. I never had a class in Bible college. You know, what do you do exactly in that situation? And uh, what I did is I, I immediately ran to my car. I, I knew where he lived, and I drove to his house, and the whole way I'm praying, Lord, help this situation, God, please. And, and uh, when I got there, there were police and fire trucks uh, out front. And I thought, oh, man, I'm too late. And then I thought I should have called 911 right away. But come to find out, he'd called 911 before me. He just, just wanted somebody to know. As I got there, I walked up. And to my delight, I saw the man that called sitting out front. And the medical people were, were talking with him. And uh, it was just a desperate cry for help, emptiness. We later talked, and he began to share a little bit of his story with me, background that I really didn't know at all. And to be honest with you, when I met him, I was super impressed. I thought, this guy has everything I'd, I'd like to have myself in life. The beautiful home with the view, the stable of awesome cars. Money was not an issue. He had an amazing uh, career. And, and, and yet, as he was coming to the end of those working years and looking to whatever it was he thought the future might hold, he, he looked at all these things that served as a purpose for him. And he, he said, in essence, he said, Steve, I got everything I, I was going for in life. And he said, none of it means anything to me. And as he shared that, I knew, and I didn't mean this in a judgmental way at all, I just knew this is someone that needs Jesus. Because actually, without Jesus, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. It's okay to have things, but when your things have you, they make a terrible taskmaster. There's no joy in that. So maybe you're here today without Jesus. I would say this, go big in life. Let us run. Live a great year. But make sure that you come to know what it means to have Jesus as the focus, as the purpose in your life. Now, maybe you're here today and you'd say, all right, pastor, you talk about someone that didn't know Jesus. What about those of us that do know Jesus? And I'm sure I'm not the only guy in the room who's had times when I've been diligently looking unto Jesus and other times when I looked away. And I think it very well may be that on this Sunday and this new year, what we all need is a reminder. Hey, make sure you're looking to the Lord. Sometimes even followers of Jesus have their eyes diverted from that which matters most. Peter had that happen. Maybe the most prominent of the disciples, certainly the leader in the group. There was that night when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter's looking at Jesus and, 
And in faith, Peter steps out of the boat. He too walks on the water. The Bible lets us know he saw Jesus. He was looking at Jesus. And then in Matthew 14, the Bible says it this way. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. That's when he sank. Now, I don't know all there is to know, but I know you can't look at Jesus and at the same time see the storm, see the trial, see the problems, see the difficulties. He, he didn't have to be uh, ignorant of the fact that there was a storm out there, but the Bible's helping us to see. Here's a man who was looking unto Jesus. He had the right purpose that was leading him forward, but when his attention was diverted from the Savior, he began to focus exclusively on the problems, and that was the end of the progress in his life. Back in the Old Testament, we read of an occasion in which the people of God were bitten by poisonous snakes. Few things I am as afraid of as snakes. And they were invaded by these snakes and they bit people. And God had an interesting remedy to that occasion. In Numbers 21 and verse 8, the Bible says that the Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And that's what happened. So let's get this. People bitten by snakes. God told Moses, I want you to fashion a fiery serpent, put it on a great big pole, hold it up there. And what do people have to do to be healed from that snake bite? Look. You had to look. Put your attention, your focus on that. Many, many, many years later, Jesus Christ in the New Testament was having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, and, and they're talking about really what it means to be a, a, a believer, to be an authentic follower of Jesus. And and as they're talking, Jesus says to this man, Nicodemus, again, all these years later, he said, Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Nicodemus, you remember that story, right? Nicodemus knew that. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself. So he said, just like that serpent was lifted up, I'm going to be lifted up. He said that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have ever or eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to see the connection between the word look that we read in Numbers and the word believe that Jesus testified of in John chapter 3. They go together. And the thought in this is a reliance on God, a complete trust in God, a, a life that is lived uh, looking to him and believing in him and completely following him friends a life well lived is one that begins with faith it travels throughout life with faith it trusts in the power of jesus to finish what he starts and it's a reality that we possess we know that one day our faith will become sight you see in this statement we find the goal in life as well as the destination it's all about jesus we find who we are to pursue, Jesus. We find what we are to do, Jesus will. We find why it's important. We find the motivation from Jesus. And we find how to get it done. It's through the power of Jesus. All of life is about Jesus Christ. You have to have the right purpose. Secondly, this morning, have the right pattern. Have the right pattern. As the writer of Hebrews continued, he, he wrote of Jesus by saying this who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was saying here, listen, as you look at Jesus, you'll find not only the purpose you need to keep running in life, you'll find a pattern 
that you can follow, an example that you can follow. In fact, in the very next verse, the writer says it this way, for consider him, speaking of Jesus, he said, think of Jesus, consider Jesus that endured, that's the second time in two verses that word endured is used, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. In other words, the writer says, listen, lest you become discouraged and decide to quit, don't forget about Jesus who endured so much in his life. Think of Jesus. Now, as we get the context of these words, we understand that those who received this letter, the book of Hebrews, they were enduring a lot of persecution, unique persecution. Chapter 12, as we saw, is on the heels of chapter 11. that told the story of people that were enduring tremendous opposition and persecution and adversity. And, and through faith, they were over to, uh, able to overcome. And these were great examples for them. But as the writer gives the grand climax on, on how to make it in life, he said, consider Jesus. He endured the opposition, the hardship. Now, we have to wonder what enabled Jesus, our Lord, to endure the cross. And I want to remind you today that Jesus is God the Son. He's God the Son. But he, of his own choice, of his own volition, made the decision not to use his power for himself, his personal needs. Satan tempted him to do that. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan over and over tried to get Jesus to use his, his divine power to meet physical needs, but Jesus refused that. What was it that enabled Jesus to pursue? It was the joy he had on the other side of the cross. In other words, it was his faith in the will of the Father, that joy set before him. I, I enjoy going to the gym every now and then and it's obvious for some people the gym is a social uh, networking time. You know, it's a place to go to be around people and make friends. And, and I've never been one to go to the gym for, for social purposes. But having said that, if you go enough, you'll, you'll recognize people and you'll give them the, the nod or, you know, the knuckle bump or whatever it might be. And, and uh, there's some guys I'll notice sometimes at the gym and they'll uh, go in there and, and they'll gravitate to the weights and, and they'll, they'll do a few reps maybe a few sets, and then they want to look in the mirror and uh, see how they're, they're looking. i got to be careful. I'll tear this coat out, and, you know, <laughs> but uh, th they'll want to see how they're looking, you know, and uh, uh, to them, it's just that's kind of where they're at in their stage of life. Nothing against them. I, I think we've all been young once, and, and that that's, was the most important thing in the world, you know, but, but they'll come, and, and they'll, they'll just pump out a few, uh, and then, then uh, they'll get up and, and uh, just kind of look. And they got to be careful lest a bead of sweat form on their forehead. They can't go too fast. It's just all about those heavy weights. And they'll do a little bit. And, and that's the end of that. But if you were to ask those same guys that are so interested in that strength to do 100 push-ups, they couldn't do 10. They developed a little strength along the way. But what they missed is what the Bible says we must have in life. They've missed that aspect of endurance. They, they may be able to do a 10-yard dash, but if you say, can you go run a mile, they, they might fall over dead halfway through. They, they, they have some strength. They're, they're missing endurance. And friends, I want you to know that when it comes to that real strength, we need to live life. That's a gift of God. That's Christ in us. It's, it's His grace. Strength is a gift. But we access strength by faith, and that is endurance. The word endure means to bear up under, to put up with something. Endurance is the opposite of quitting. 
And no one will encourage you to keep running in life like Jesus when you think of who Jesus is, what he endured, who he is, and what that means to you. He's the one to whom we must look. He is the one that's worthy of our consideration. And he is the one who shows us the way to go in life. We have to have the right purpose. We have to have the right pattern. And then I want us to see finally today, we have to have the right perspective. The right perspective. There's something incredible about Jesus that we must understand. He knew that his pain would lead to a greater gain. He knew the cross was something through which he must go. It wasn't the end. His perspective allowed him to, to look and to have joy even on the other side of, of adversity. He knew in that time in his life when he was enduring the greatest of oppositions that he was fulfilling the Father's will. He knew that he was providing the means for salvation. And he also knew that as horrific as crucifixion was, that he was not going to remain in the grave. In the Psalms, David made a statement that Jesus would have known very well. In Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 and 10, the psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This is a passage of scripture we refer to as a messianic psalm. It spoke of the person and work of Jesus. And Jesus had an understanding. My body's not going to see corruption. I'm not going to be put in this tomb and a stone rolled in front. And forever that's where uh, I will be. He said, no, there's more to this story. And as Jesus endured the cross, the Bible says this, that he had a joy that was set before him in other words the thought of finishing his race brought him joy he knew that conflict would come but that it would end in a conquest as he simply did that which god the father had given him to do it was november 24th 1989 i was a junior in high school and we had just celebrated thanksgiving as a family the day before and on that morning my mom and dad got up and they were going to have a little getaway for a while and uh, any parents here this morning? Parents, let me see your hands. Uh, listen, your kids, when they're junior in high school, are not trustworthy. Do not leave them at home alone, okay? What were they thinking? Uh, but at any rate, they left, and I'm here. And I don't know what kind of thought you would have had, but my thought was, it's time for an adventure. All right, so let's, let's get this party started. And uh, so I called uh, a couple of my friends, and I called Artie and Kevin, and, and uh, I said, hey, listen, my folks are gone, and uh, I've got a great idea. Great idea. Uh, my idea is, I think we should go down to the harbor and take my dad's sailboat and sail it to Catalina. We'll spend the night, have a great time, come home the next day. And, and uh, that morning, it was so beautiful, and it was unseasonably warm for the day after Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, the fact that I thought that was a great idea kind of influenced them, and they said, sure, we'll be there. And so we got down to the harbor a little bit later, and the, uh, the breeze kind of started kicking up, and we thought this was going to be awesome. And we, we piled on the boat, and we uh, motored out uh, from San Pedro there and, and uh, popped out by Long Beach, and we're off now uh, on our way to Catalina. Now, from about the time we untied the boat till we got out into open water, the wind went from just kind of a little breezy 
to just ripping. In fact, I later learned it was the windiest day of the year. It was one of those Santa Ana conditions. So in the morning, it was just like super clear and really warm. You're like, what a great day to be on a boat. By the time we got out into the ocean, we're like, what are we doing out here? I had never sailed a boat alone. I thought, how hard could it be? My dad could do it. Surely I can do it, you know? And, and uh, so we're out there. And uh, it, it, was like, it was like 55% awesome, 45% terrifying, right? And uh, the further away from land we got, those odds began to shift. And we began to think, are, are we going to survive this? And the front of the boat's going in the waves in front of us now. And, and, and water's just pouring over. And, and uh, we're doing our best. And uh, again, those Santa Ana days, you know what I'm talking about. They'll get hot, they'll get windy, and then the night rolls around. And it gets freezing cold. And the fog rolled in. And there were a lot of instruments on the boat my dad had at that time. Uh, I didn't really know how any of them worked. I kind of understood a compass, but I liked the fact that I could look and see that island out there. I could see it. I knew where I, that's where I'm going, but then the fog rolled in, and I couldn't see it anymore. Now, we were close enough. I thought, all right, I, I, uh, if I just stay on this line. And I know there's currents that move you all kinds of different ways, but I thought, all I got right now is this compass. Maybe if I keep it here, I'll be okay. And, and uh, after a little bit, we got close enough. I began to see a light in the general direction. I knew there was an island, and we made it into Isthmus Cove. We didn't go to Avalon. We went to Isthmus Cove, and, and uh, we got in. And now it's late, and we've been absolutely beat to death. I remember the harbor master came out and he chewed me out for coming out. He's like, you shouldn't be out. There's a, uh, an advisory and all these things. And, and he didn't just tie us off in the front, which was customary. He tied us off in the front, had another tie up to the back. And before he, he left, he said, if you come loose in the night, you're on your own. You're on your own. Oh, we got beat to death that night. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat that won't stop rocking and rolling and, and you know you can't get off, but that's a horrible feeling. And all night long, it just was up and down. And we kind of figured out the middle of the boat moved the least. And so here's three dumb teenagers sitting on the floor in the middle of the boat, just praying for the sun to come up. And, and uh, uh, lest you're worried, we lived that night, okay? But the sun finally came up, and we thought, all right, it's time now to get home. And the wind had already kicked up that morning. And we're trying now to motor away from the island, but the wind is, is coming towards us. And uh, that little diesel motor was just going as hard as it could. And that boat was hardly moving, hardly moving because the wind's pushing against us. And you'd look down at the water, look like you're really going somewhere, but we weren't. And uh, finally, we just kind of went, went, went until we got to the side of the island. And, and all at once, once we got away from the island, uh, things just went amazingly well. For the next three and a half hours, we had the greatest sail I've ever had in my life. I mean, that boat was leaning rails in the water. None of us knew what we were doing. We just kind of stumbled into this, and uh, we had to tack several times, but we had the greatest sail back into the harbor, and here I am 30-plus years later, and I have a story to tell. <laughs> and I think that story is very much how your new year will be. You'll have times where things will just look so promising, and then the storm will blow in, and it'll get bumpy for a while, and it'll be exciting and terrifying, and then it'll be terrifying and, and, and a little bit exciting. And, and then you'll have times where, where things will blow in that will limit your ability to have any vision for the future. You just will have moments where you're not sure, what do I do next? Where do I go now? I, I've never been here before. How, how do I handle this? I, I've never dealt with anything like this before. But I'm telling you today that if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, if you'll keep Him as your focus and allow Him to provide your purpose, and if you allow Him to provide your pattern, you'll see that in the course of time, His perspective will encourage you. And as you endure, as you refuse to give up, 
up. I believe you'll get to the end of this year and you'll look back on this year and you'll tell a similar story. Man, we made great progress. We had some adversity. We had some hardship. We had times we didn't know what was going to happen or how we, would, how we would handle it, but we just kept going. We persisted and we made it to where it is we set out to go a year ago. So keep your eyes on Jesus and trust him. I believe that if we will just live the life he's given us to live, we're not trying to earn anything. We started as free in him. We're not trying to prove anything. We're not trying to get glory for ourselves. We're doing it all for his glory. But what will happen is the story of our life, the Bible word for that is our testimony. The testimony of our life will add to the overall story that Jesus is a good, good Savior. Friends, if I could boil the game plan for 2019 down to one word, here it is. Please hear me. One word for 2019. Jesus. Jesus. He's the author of this year. He's the finisher of this year. May we live it in faith for Him. Jesus. We are to run for Jesus. We are to run with Jesus. We are to run to Jesus. It's only in Jesus that we'll find the fulfillment in life that is so strong that we'll endure even when the difficult times come. And friends, that's what we need to know today. Never been a day like the one in which we're living. A lot of people will talk about the storm clouds that have blown in and how horrible things are and how bad things are getting. And I'm not a total ignoramus. I can see a lot of that. But I believe as long as there's a Jesus, there's a life to be lived. And as long as there's faith in, in the great power of God, there are places for us to go. And there are things to do. And I know not what's going to happen in the world this year. But I'll tell you what, weak by faith can say this. As I follow Jesus, he's going to use my life in a great way. I can't be the Christian he's called me to be by his grace i can't be the spouse god has called me to be i can't be the parent god has called me to be i can't be the servant the giver the lover the carer that god has called me to be and friends we have every good reason today to have hearts filled with confidence in the person and work of jesus christ and to tackle this year with a holy aggression that says let us run as we're looking unto jesus our father we're thankful today for the incredible encouragement we find in this great book of the Bible. Lord, those who were reading these words were people going through much heartache and difficulty. And I pray today that we would respond to these words the way they were intended, uh, with a renewed sense of faith in the Lord. Lord, may we look to you. May we follow you. May we pursue you. Lord, may we endure because we understand who you are and what you've done. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I wonder how many of you would say, Pastor, somewhere in that message you happened to say something that was good for me to hear. There was a statement, a point, a verse. There was something in that message that I think on this Sunday, early in this year, it was good for me to hear. Are there those today that say, Pastor, there was something in that that I think was good for me? Just lift your hand real quick. Pastor, there was something in that that was good for me. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. And, and I want to ask you, recollect make a mental note what is it that you heard today that your thought was you know that was a good thing for me to hear that was a good thing for me to hear hold on to that hold on to that